Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shechem and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream, will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. 
Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the Ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. That was really well read. It's a long couple of chapters, but I was really keen for us to get that sweep of what's going on in this event as God's people prepare to and then cross over. But it was so helpful, wasn't it, just to get that that read uh, consecutively and powerfully for us to hear. It is an extraordinary miracle. Why don't I just pray that God will help us understand what's going on here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who uh, clearly does speak to us. You're a God who is powerfully at work in our world and always has been. And Father, we pray this morning as we consider this your word, you'll give us that insight and understanding that helps us work out how this extraordinary miracle of crossing over the Jordan, how it relates to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder whether you sometimes find yourself thinking, uh, I wish God would be more supernaturally, overtly at work in this world. Uh, I know Sunday to Sunday we always have people who are joining us who are trying to work out uh, whether they believe in God or not, trying to understand what's going on, and we, we're really pleased that you're here. Uh, but I wonder what, what would it take for you to be convinced that the God of the Bible is real and that you should put your trust in him? Or, um, or maybe today you're sitting here as a Christian and you're thinking, you know, I, 
I would really like it if God would flex his miracle muscles a bit more in this world, you know, just sort of do a bit more from time to time. I think it would be so much easier uh, to convince my friends or uh, my unbelieving relatives that, that God is who he said he is. If only he would just do some amazing and stunning sorts of miracles so that they would be totally convinced. What would it take? Today we turn to Joshua 3 and 4 and we come face to face with what is a really impressive miracle. On anyone's terms, this is quite extraordinary. Now let me just sketch in the background a little bit. I I know that some of us have been here the last couple of weeks, some of us not. Uh, We're in a situation where the people of God are on one side of the Jordan River looking in at the land that God had promised them for centuries actually that they were going to receive. So they're looking across the Jordan in flood at the place God said he's going to take them. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of God's people, all their kids, all their gear, sitting on this side, staring into that that land. That's the situation. Forty years beforehand, they'd been at exactly the same spot and they'd mucked it up. And so they'd gone wandering around the desert for 40 years and now they're back again at the same location, staring in at the same land and wondering, are they going to get there this time? You know, is it actually going to come to pass and what God does is he clearly affirms that he will give them the land on this occasion they they send in the two spies who don't cover themselves with glory Uh, Joshua chapter 2 the two spies go across they go straight to the house of a prostitute not exactly where you'd expect to find the men of God they come back and they report that uh, the prostitute teaches them God can be trusted and so they report that back to Joshua not the person you'd expect to teach them about God's trustworthiness like there are some signs here that it, you'd feel a bit nervous I think at this point but God nonetheless affirms that they are going to go across into the promised land but here is the problem hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them steering across a flooded river I mean, it's okay to get two spies in, but to get a whole nation across this flooded river with their little ones and all their gear, you sort of think, this is just, you know, like, how will this happen? And then in Joshua 3, verse 5, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, literally, the the amazing things are, are wonders, wonders among you. And the waters piled up and they crossed over. Now at this point you might say to me, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get it. God did amazing signs and wonders thousands of years ago uh, for God's people. That's the way he operated back then. But what about today? You know, I'd like to see God do a bit of that today. So what's going on? What's the significance of this? I want to take you to the end of chapter 4. Uh, the last verse that we heard read chapter 4 verse 24 why did God do this sign he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God this sign was not just for them then not just for the people who saw it but it's actually proof to all people for all time that God is who he says he is. Now you, you may be aware of course that, that 
God had done extraordinary miracles throughout the Old Testament, yet alone the news. So you think, well, um, why is this miracle so impressive? And if it is so impressive, why don't we teach it more? I mean, how come Duncan hasn't preached on this passage eight times this year if it's meant to be the sign that stands for all time? Yeah, we should. We have Lord's Supper about once a month here, do we? Yeah, we should have Lord's Supper once a month and the crossing of the Jordan once a month. You know, we should do both. You know, like, if it's... Because it's the sign that stands for all time, for all people. Believing God, he dried up the waters of the, Red sea, of the uh, Jordan River. You know, that, that would be a, a smart thing to do. Why is it so significant? I want to take a look at it with you and see if we can, we can work out the significance of it and its uh, importance for us today. Okay. It is an ama- amazing miracle. Uh, God's people have been building towards this moment for for decades and actually even, even centuries. And when they got to the edge of the Jordan at this point, they would have been both excited and scared. When you get to chapter 3, verse 1, this is what we're told. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. And they camp on the edge of the Jordan here for three days. So I want you to imagine that they're three days sitting on the edge of the Jordan and they are staring at a river in flood and if you've ever been in that situation, 24-7 you're listening to the flood as the waters are cascading past. The visual for them would have been quite powerful, staring at their problem. And it's reinforced in verse 15, the Jordan is at flood stage all through the harvest. Now, most of us probably don't have much experience of a river in flood. Right? Yeah, I live in Adelaide and we have the mighty Torrens River, you know. We can <laughs> let out the plug and it just drains away, you know. And probably it's pretty similar here. The, the Inman is not exactly the most powerful cascading river in the history of humanity. I don't know if it floods too often, but probably doesn't do that much damage. Well, I shouldn't undermine. Yeah, it may be a very damaging river, but yeah, we don't have much concept of a raging, flooding river. During harvest, the Jordan River could be 5 to 18 kilometres across. Right? That's a long way for a river to be in flood, and a depth of 1 to 4 metres at different points. This is a fairly impressive body of water and not one, like you wait until it's not running quite so flood stage before you try and cross. But that's their situation, dangerous. Three days, they sit there thinking, no way. (laughs) No way we're going to get across. And then they're told, verse 13, As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. Would you send the priests down with a little box, the ark of the Lord, down to the river, and this river, four to 15 kilometres across, one to four metres deep, it will stop. Right? They hear this announcement. And you know what they're thinking at this point, these hundreds of thousands of people? They are thinking, and pigs fly, right? Like everything visibly in front of them says, no way is this going to happen. 
And then the priests, they pick up the ark. Remember, this is a box with the Ten Commandments in it and a few other things. And the priests go down towards the river while the people are told to stand back hundreds of metres. Sue and I were actually at that location just a few months ago. And the, the hills on the edge of the Jordan there are several hundred metres back. And the people were standing on these hills watching these men become increasingly small with the box of the Ark of the Covenant as they wove their way down towards the river into this extraordinary flooded abyss in front of them. That was the situation. The priests go down and everyone is just watching. And then when the people with this panoramic view of all that's going on in front of them, when the priests put their feet into the water in view of the whole nation, what we're told, verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood in a heap far off. They just pile up and the water downstream just drains away. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are there on the hills just watching on. You've been hearing about this promise that God was going to take into this land ever since you've been alive. <laughs> like years, decades. And then the priests with the ark representing the very presence of God with his people, they make their way down towards this, this flooded river. And before your very eyes, the water just piles up. You're looking on and the way is just cleared for you to go across. I reckon your heart would just be pumping at that moment. You'd just be going, this is extraordinary. Your mouth would get dry. You'd, you'd have tears, I reckon, coming down your eyes. And you'd be thinking, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the God of our nation. He is my God. It would have been just extraordinary to be there and experience all that was happening at that moment. And then back to today, you might be thinking, you know, I'd love to see God do that today. Even the Inman, that'd be great. You know, like, a, you know, like I, I'd love to see something like that happen in my day and age. It'd be a real faith booster. And you know, it's natural at one level, totally natural. But let me remind you again what it says in chapter 4, verse 24. This wonder at the Jordan River was done so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you may fear the Lord forever. Friends, this is meant to convince us about the power of God so that we might submit to him and trust him. So how does, how does that work? As we're reading through, I wonder if you picked up the fact that uh, we're told this is a sign. 
This is a sign. I want to take you back to two, chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. 4, verses 4 to 7. I'm going to read it again. I want you to listen for how often the word sign comes up. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 4. Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you. In future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The ark goes forward. The stones are placed there as a sign of what happens on that day. The thing about signs is they're meant to point you to something. That's the nature of a sign. Um, I wear a wedding, wedding ring on my wedding finger. This is a sign, right? It is a sign of the fact that I'm married to Sue, right? But when I get up in the morning, I don't go, oh, Sue, I love you. Hug, 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 hug. You know, like I, I don't treat the, the ring like it is my marriage because my ring points to my marriage. It's much more satisfying and comforting to hug Sue and kiss Sue, right, rather than, than my ring. You understand the sign points to a reality. The key to understanding this sign that's, that's done here in Joshua 3 and 4, it's to understand the significance of the Ark of the Lord. The Ark of the Lord is mentioned 17 times in these two chapters. Now, I know today when I talk about the Ark of the Lord, you think about Harrison Ford and the Raiders of the Lost Ark and, you know, the lid comes off and the demons escape and invade people and, you know, they, we've got that sort of imagery from uh, modern times. The Ark of the Lord really was just a fairly simple wooden box. And inside that box uh, were the Ten Commandments, a little pot of manna or bread, probably a bit, bit mouldy, you would have thought, by this stage, and a walking stick. That's effectively... Uh, what was in this box. But I want you to notice how the ark is described back in chapter 3. Verse 3, we're told it's the ark of the covenant. Verse 6 of chapter 3, it's called the ark of the covenant. Verse 3, verse 7, the ark of the covenant. Verse 14 of chapter 3, it is the ark of the covenant. The ark of the Covenant, 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 covenant. Covenant essentially just means promise. The ark signaled the very presence of God with his people, Israel, but also the fact that this God was a promise-keeping God. And when the priests carry the ark of the covenant down to the water and the way is opened up to the promised land, it's not just a miracle impressive though it is, it is a miracle that is linked to a promise. Centuries ago, back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was promised by God this land. That promise for the following centuries and decades was reaffirmed to God's people at all sorts of different points. 
More recently to Moses, as he took them to the edge. Forty years they wandered. He came back. He died. Affirmed for Joshua. God had promised that this was the land that God would give to his people. The ark goes, goes down, the waters stop, and everyone was saying, God is the God who keeps his promises. It's a sign that God delivers on his word. That's what's going on here. So let me ask then the follow-up question. How does this sign operate for us as we stand some 3,000 years further on? It's still a sign for us. Chapter 4, verse 24. So that all the peoples of the earth, right, it probably includes us, right, all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of God is powerful. So let me ask about miracles today. What sort of expectation should we have about God doing miracles today? Can I say, it is the most natural thing in the world and an appropriate thing to want to experience God in this world. Of course we should want that. It's also very clear that the God of the Bible, he is able to do and act in whatever way he chooses. This is his world. But should we expect that God will do this sort of thing today? Uh, is that something we should think should be common? I want to suggest to you that actually one of the points of this miracle is well, what underlies it, is the fact that God doesn't promise to do a sign like this in every day and every age. I mean, it's the very nature of it. This one stands for all time, and that is the point. It was a sign for future generations so that they would believe. When we turn to the New Testament, it actually warns us about seeking signs. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, there was an occasion where Jesus was being uh, attacked by the Pharisees. They were trying to trap him. And they come to him and say, Jesus, do for us, do for us a sign, you know. We'd like you to operate like a puppy dog and do tricks for us, you know. Do tricks for us, Jesus, you know, to convince us about who you are. There's, there's a real maliciousness about their request. This is what Jesus says in response to them. Some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. How does Jesus respond? He says, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. It's actually wrong to demand of God that he keep proving himself to you. It's inappropriate. A bit, bit like if each day I you know, woke up next to Sue and I said, Sue, today I want you to prove, come up with a new and clever way and prove that you still love me. Otherwise, I'll choose to believe you don't. Right? Now, you wouldn't think that was a great recipe for a good marriage. Um, you know, it's the same when it comes to God. Uh, it's, it's not appropriate to keep demanding he prove himself. Signs, in particular this sign here, is not there to show us how clever God is. He's not the good fairy God, but he is the God who keeps his promise. So should we preach this sign more today? Yeah, Lord's Supper Sunday, 
crossing the Jordan River Sunday. You know, we have a memorial service for both each Sunday. How, what's the significance of this miracle? And are we neglecting it? I want to suggest to you that this sign has now been superseded. Uh, I'm, I'm now old enough to remember the time when we didn't have computers and uh, word processors, right? Some of you were old enough to remember those days as well. Uh, I, I worked in a law firm, I was a lawyer, and I remember the agony that the uh, secretarial staff had to go through when we were doing wills. You had to get wills exactly word perfect, no word processing for putting through amendments. A will would be typed out with a duplicate copy and one secretary would sit there and read word for word uh, documents that went for pages and pages and pages. And when they came to words that were tricky to spell, they would spell out the words and they'd have to cross-check and make sure this document was word per... You can imagine how word processing totally transformed legal practices. <laughs> totally. Uh, now, I, I want you to think about if I went into the firm I used to work in in Grenfell Street in town, and came in and said, look, got the secretarial staff together and said, I've got an idea. I'm thinking, let's throw out the computers and go back to manual typewriters, you know? Right? The, let's resurrect the good old days, you know? I'm thinking the secretaries wouldn't be in favour of that, you know? Because the technology has just gone way past it. In the same way, I want to suggest that this sign of the Jordan... Uh, drying up the Jordan River, it's actually been superseded by another sign, and it is the sign of the cross. With the, with the situation with Joshua, he'd received that promise to take God's people into the promised land. They were going into that land to experience the blessing of living in relationship with God the salvation that God had promised them. And the Jordan River stood in the way. So by, buying, by blocking up the Jordan River, God made it possible for them to pass into the salvation that he'd been promising them for centuries and centuries. Now for us, friends, the events of the Jordan River, they anticipated the time when God would send another Joshua uh, Jesus, whose name is Joshua, a time when God would send his son into this world so that he would deal with our enemies, the enemies of sin, of death, that Jesus would die for our sin on the cross, that he would be raised to life again so that we might experience both forgiveness and life and have our place in heaven secured for all time. You see, the wonder of the Jordan has been superseded by the sign of the cross. It is the ultimate sign from God of his character, of his faithfulness in keeping his promises. And friends, this is the sign that we proclaim day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, decade upon decade upon decade. And let me say this sign it will never be superseded, the sign of the cross. It is the ultimate sign that saves and forgives. 
how do we experience God today? I remember now, it's probably a couple of decades ago, but I tell you what, the, the memory of it is just implanted in my brain. It's, uh, it's so clear. I was at the church I sometimes attend in town, Holy Trinity in Adelaide, and this morning, uh, Marilyn was interviewed. In order to be interviewed, Marilyn had to put a ramp in uh, to get her wheelchair out to the front of the church. And Marilyn told her story. Uh, She had MS in her 40s. And she said it had been rapid onset. Uh, Prior to getting MS, she had been incredibly fit. She'd run in marathons. And she was a beautiful woman, admired by lots of other people, and would turn heads every time she came into the room. But the MS, within months, had just robbed her of her ability to walk, her ability to move her arms, and was just eating away at her body. But you know, the focus of the interview was not on how much she'd lost, because what she said was, without the MS, she would never have turned to God and put her trust in him. And the point she was making was that now in that wheelchair she had so much more than she ever had. That by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, she now had the forgiveness and the relationship with God that would endure for all eternity. That she now knew the God of the universe who ruled over heaven and earth and she trusted in him. She knew that the MS would kill her at an early stage, but that that would not interfere with her crossing the Jordan and dwelling with the Lord Jesus Christ and her Heavenly Father for all eternity. Nothing could take that away. It was so much more superior to the healthy body that she just previously had a few months prior. Friends, God has not promised healings or spectacular miracles in our day and age. I'm not saying he can't do those things or it's inappropriate to pray for them. All I'm saying is he has not guaranteed those things. But I do want to say to you that God has given us the ultimate sign. The sign that points us to the complete salvation that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the sign of the cross. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross and in his resurrection to life, then you experience a relationship with God that can never be taken away. Friends, this is the sign that God has revealed to us that so openly demonstrates his character and his purposes and most deeply plums the reality of relationship that we can have with him that can never be taken away. We have a God who is faithful, who keeps his promises, who is powerful and can always be trusted. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, today we come face to face with what is an extraordinary sign, an extraordinary miracle. And yet we know it, it points us to the reality of who you are, of your faithfulness to keep your word throughout generations. And Father, we thank you that when the time came, you sent your son into this world, the promised one who died so that we might be forgiven, the one who was raised to life so that we might experience life beyond the grave. And Father, we know that there's just no more powerful sign that you could ever do and that that sign stands for all time, for every generation. Father, we pray that as we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll experience the reality and know the reality of the forgiveness and life that are ours in him and that nothing and no one can snatch that relationship away. Father, we thank you that you make promises and you powerfully keep them. Father, we pray that in the ups and downs, uh, the challenges, the joys and the heartaches, uh, that you might preserve us in our trust in you in this generation and for all time. Father, we pray it in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much, Paul. What a tremendous uh, passage of uh, part of God's Word. Uh, thank you for today and for the last two weeks in Joshua. Hasn't it been uh, a great uh, encouragement and uh, uh, just seeing the, the greatness and goodness of God uh, for his people Israel and in Christ in this uh, wonderful act uh, in, the in the cross of his son. Uh, friends, our song, next song is a great response to that. It's really a prayer in song. Uh, that God would occupy our lowly heart and own it all and reign supreme and conquer every rebel power. Uh, it's a great song to reflect on and immediately following the song, the music will continue to uh, play for a little bit. That's just a time for you to uh, just spend a few moments in quiet thought, reflecting on what you've heard today, perhaps in prayer um, to our great God. So um, with that, let's stand and let's sing together.